look to the scriptures. Once again, Mark 16 is our passage for the first service. How many have been enjoying this time on the church? Amen. We're learning about the church. We're learning about what we do. So glad that you are here. I want you to look at Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 13. And then today, Lord willing, we'll go up to the previous verses. But I want you to see our text. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So here's Jesus asking people, his disciples, who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist. Some or others say Elijah. Still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. How many believe this is powerful right here? Amen. Now I want you to think about what happened in review. Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? They have the wrong answer. People's, people around Jesus had no idea who he was. Then Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Not to who others say, but to who do you say that I am? Then Simon Peter gave the right answer. Now Jesus blessed Simon and gave him a new name. Everybody say Peter and say Petros. Amen. So that's the name that he gave him. And then he says, on this rock I will build my church. Everybody say rock and say Petra. Thank you. So these are not the same name. And notice he doesn't say, on you I will build my church. He says, on this rock I will build my church. And as we have studied here, this does not teach us that Peter is a pope and that the Roman Catholics have a right to talk about the ascension of one man to this office and then for it to be handed down over the years. This is their main scripture. Does anyone see here the idea of a pope to come in succession after Peter from this passage? Absolutely not. Now turn with me quickly to 1 Peter, and maybe this will be my last time emphasizing this, but this is important, and I know that we always have new people joining with us. Thank you for coming. We're learning about the church, and one of the things that we have to do is correct errors, and if one of the largest churches and historic churches is the Roman Catholic, then we do owe it to ourselves to learn the truth. Can I hear an amen? Now, go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is Peter's book. This is where Peter should have said that he is a pope, that he is now going to hand in succession one to another a list of popes, and they will be over the church. This is where he should have done it. This is his book. He has two books, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. But instead, he says the exact opposite. Look at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone. Now notice Jesus is called a stone. Do you notice that here? Before Peter is called Petras, which means a rock, and then Petra means a large rock, but it's feminine. One is Petros, masculine. The other one is feminine. Now here Peter says Jesus is that living stone. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God, precious to him. You also like living stones. So all of us are like living stones, are being built 
into a spiritual house to a holy priesthood, not just anybody, uh, not, not just a certain people in the priesthood, but all of us are in the priesthood. Can I hear an amen? Offering spiritual sacrifices, not just certain priests at an altar, but all of us are offering these spiritual sacrifices, which we're learning in Hebrews is also the sacrifice of praise, thanksgiving. Okay, this is the sacrifice we all bring as priests to the Lord, along with other things. Romans chapter 12, offering up your body as a living sacrifice. How many have heard that before? Well, if you're giving sacrifices, that means you're a priest. You're not a high priest. Hebrews says that Jesus is the high priest, not in the order of Aaron, but in the order of Melchizedek. And now we are in his priesthood. Does everybody see that? You are in Jesus' priesthood. You are in Jesus' house. You are a living stone being built with the great stone of Jesus Christ. This is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock. Everybody say rock. And a rock that makes them fall. Give me to the uh, Greek up there. Hit that, that, that button, please. And what is the word for rock right here that's referring to Jesus? What is that word? Who wants to guess before we get to the Greek here? Petra. So the only time that Peter mentions Petra is in regard to Jesus. Does he say that he is the rock on which the church is built? Does he say it, yes or no? Take off the Greek, please, because we're getting confused. I want everyone to get this. Does Peter, and you can read the rest of it. There's no more discussions of rocks and stones in Peter's first or second epistle. Here it is. Does Peter say anywhere here that he is the Petra on which the, uh, the church will be built on? Is there any mention here of Peter being a pope? Is there any mention here that he will in succession, meaning like hand the baton from one pope to another pope? Is there any mention of this here? No. And you will not find it. That's the point. It's not here, and you will not find it. Now go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Thank you for your participation. Amen. It makes the sermon a lot more funner for me and a lot less longer for you. Amen? Amen. How many are glad you have a pastor slash trainer who cares about you? Yes, sometimes I feel like I'm your trainer up here but I'm just being humble. I'm, I'm honestly just honored to serve. Notice what Peter calls himself, to the elders among you. Who is he speaking to here? To the who? The elders, thank you. To the elders among you, I appeal as a what? The chief pope over all of you? The leader of the entire church? No, as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. Do you notice what Peter believed that he was? Peter believed that he was an elder with the other elders establishing the church. Now, going back to our notes, please. Why is Peter important? Does this take away his importance? Absolutely not. You can honor the Virgin Mary without praying to the Virgin Mary. How many believe that? You can honor the saints without praying to the saints. We honor Peter. How do we honor him? By understanding he was the first member of the church. He's the first one. He's the first one that gets the right answer over who Jesus is. Jesus is building his church. Peter's in that church. Peter now gets to receive his membership. That's awesome. He's also the first that gets to preach in the church, day of Pentecost, Acts 2. How many remember that? See, that's, that's what makes Peter awesome. Honor him for that. 
Just like if you were thinking about a sports star, Mickey Mantle or Michael Jordan. Okay, how many like sports stars? That's great. Okay, but you don't say that Michael Jordan can fly. You don't say that Mickey Mantle never struck out. How many understand that? Like you don't make up a myth to honor the person. Just say what the person did. Say what was great about the person. What was great about Peter? Peter was the first of the disciples to join the church by having the right answer. What is his answer? That Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And as we talked about that before, Messiah meaning Christ in the Greek, Christ, Christo, Mashiach, Hebrew, Christ, Messiah, means the same thing, the anointed one. He's fulfilling the prophecies of what was given to this anointed one that would come and be the sacrifice and the king of Israel, the lion and the lamb. Can I hear you say that with me? The lion? And the lamb. Thank you. So he's both. The reason why modern Jews miss him is the same reason why many of the Jews back then missed him. But understand this. There are more modern Jews now accepting Christ than ever before. And the first church was Jewish. Amen? So don't get people to think all the Jews rejected Jesus. They didn't. Many accepted him then. Many are accepting him now. But what was it to be the Messiah? Not just a king. That is what we're waiting for in his second coming. But the scriptures clearly teach in his first coming, there needed to be a sacrifice. There needed to be a suffering. And so that's what makes him unique. But what does uh, Peter say here? He's the son of the living God. And as we talked about this, this does not mean that Jesus is a son by the ton. In other words, there's sons by the tons in the Bible. Uh, angels are called the sons of God in Job. Uh, we as Christians are called the sons of God all throughout the scriptures. This kind of son that Jesus is, is not like the sons by the tons. Can I hear an amen? The Bible is very clear. He is the mago genes in Greek, the one of a kind, the mono, mono genes. He is the unique, only begotten son of God. How many have heard that before? John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, or in the King James, only what? Begotten. So why does he have this title that others do not have? Is because the son is equal with the father in his nature. We are called sons and daughters, offspring of God, because we come from a point of creation, and he is our creator. The angels are called the sons of God in other places in the scriptures because they have a point of creation. So in other words, the son title for us and angels simply means created ones, that God is our father. Does everybody get that? That's what it means for us. God is our creator. When Jesus calls God his father, he is not calling him his creator. He is not calling him the one who gives him life and, and the ability to exist. When he is calling him his father, father, he is saying that he has had an equality of relationship with him from all eternity. Go to John chapter 1 verse 1, please. In other words, as long as the father has been a father, the son has been a son. Can somebody be a father without a son or a child? No, so when you talk to somebody who denies the eternality of Jesus' divinity and they think Jesus is created, as our Jehovah Witness friends out here wrongly think, they do not understand the scriptures. And what they go to is this understanding of family, familial relationships, and they put that towards Jesus. They'll say something like, have you, Joe, as a son, existed as long as your father? And I would say, no, my father existed before me. How many know that's true? 
Okay, but this is not the way to see the relationship between the father and the son. Our relationships of father and son are an imitation in temporality of their eternality. Do you understand? Half of you. Our families represent the family of God. God said he made us in his image, male and female, complex unity. The two coming together to be one, make a child. You, three, you see three persons in a family, a husband, a wife, a mother, father, child, children. Are you seeing that? God is three in one, father, son, and spirit, and he's been like that for eternity. But now for us to say in our relationships, in our relationships, children come from sexual union. Therefore, if Jesus is a son, that means the father had sexual union with somebody is incorrect. You don't take the shadow and then take it to the example. I am greater than my shadow. Can I hear an amen to that? If you look at this phone held over this pulpit right now, how many would want the phone over the shadow? How many would rather have the phone? The shadow is not greater than the phone. The phone is greater than its shadow. Amen? Jesus, the Father and the Spirit, is greater than us as a family. So when we think to ourselves that Jesus is a son, that means that the Father must have created the son at some point with somehow a goddess mother, and that is not true. And sometimes people try to say the Holy Spirit is like the feminine side. That has nothing to do with nothing. Our family represents the Trinity as a shadow. Think of the difference in complexity between my phone literally and this shadow. Does everybody get the difference in complexity? The shadow begins the moment at this time, but this thing was before the shadow. God is before his shadow. And then for us to look at our shadow and go, oh, well, children come from sex, that means Jesus came from sex. That's what Mormons do. Do you understand? Mormons are polytheists that believe that God the Father has God the Mother. They make children, and that's what we are. That is not the truth at all from the Scriptures. How is the Scriptures looking at a father and son relationship? In eternity. And this is now where the question would be. So when someone says to you, Joe, do you have an existence as long as your father? And I would say no. And they go, aha, see, if Jesus is the son, that means he hasn't existed as long as the father. I then stop them and I go, how long has my father been a father? How long has my father been a father? As long as I've been alive, as long as I've been a son. So the father and son relationship started simultaneously. Do you understand that? My father was never a father without me being his firstborn. It could have been a girl, but are you tracking with me? So what we say is, back to them, how long has the Bible said he is a father? And the Bible says in Isaiah 9, 6 that one of the attributes of God is everlasting father. So he's always been a father, and they'll, they'll admit that. Well, then he had to have a son. And so what does the Bible say? That from eternity, time without beginning, the son has always been in the father's bosom, in his relationship with the father. Amen? And the spirit has always been there. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was what? God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were what? Made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. If Jesus is a made thing, how can he be the creator of all made things? Go with it slowly. It's not a trick. Whenever somebody says whatever crazy Mormon theology, Jehovah Witness theology, I don't care what theology they come up with, if Jesus is not eternal in existence with the Father, we have a problem. Because what now is Jesus in his nature if he's not eternal? He's created. 
That means at some point he didn't exist, then he exists. But according to the scripture, without him, this one, nothing. Does everybody understand what the word nothing means? Nothing was made that has been made. If you're saying Jesus was made, you don't understand that scripture. Anything that has ever been made came from Jesus. How much more clear could it be? Let me read it one more time, this time in Polish, half kid. Through him, all things were made. How many understand all? Okay? It's the same in the Greek language. Through him, all things were made. If that wasn't good enough, it now clarifies. Without him, nothing. How many understand what the word nothing is? Was made that has been made. So as I've taught you here before, you can just go on your notes or a piece of paper with anybody that wants to assert Jesus didn't always exist. Just put a line down a piece of paper or on your phone note tablet and put on one side, not made, and another side, made. And then ask them according to this scripture, where does Jesus go? Not made. Does everybody get that? Because he makes everything. Everything else goes on the made side except Jesus. And what must Jesus be if he's on the not made side? He's God. He's God. Now watch this. What was his relationship to the Father until he manifested in the flesh, came into creation? And that's where sometimes people like our Muslim friends get confused. Oh, well, because Jesus was born of a virgin, we all believe that came into flesh. They think he's now just like a normal human, a prophet that began to exist. That's not at all what the scripture is saying. Go to verse 14, please. This eternal one became flesh. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. And the word was God. Verse 14, the word became what? The word became flesh. He took on an earth suit like we would take on a space suit. Does the word start existing the moment he takes on flesh? He existed before the flesh. When you put on that outfit this morning, did you start existing? No. When a space person puts on a space suit, did they start existing? You existed before that suit. He puts on a suit of flesh. Does everybody get that? He became flesh. The word is something existing before the flesh. So Jesus takes on flesh. And what does he do? He makes his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. Now we know who the word is. The son is the word of God. That was a poetic way to get us to this point. Who has come from where? The father. Where did he come from? The father full of what? Grace and truth. Now go to verse 18, and let me help you understand this because I haven't spent a lot of time on this before, but I want you to see this in the King James because here it says, and is in closest relationship with the Father, but I want you to see it in a classic way because people may bring this up to you, and I want you to be able to answer what this in the bosom of the Father means. How many have ever heard the word bosom before? Okay, what does that mean? He's in the chest of or the closest to one. Uh, If you're in the bosom of somebody, you're the closest you can be to them in the natural. And as we learn here in the spiritual, what that means is, is he's in the heart of the Father. Okay? Did everybody get that? So let's now read it. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him. Now, if you notice, there is one difference here between the only begotten Son and then in the NIV, the only begotten God or the God of the Son. 
And the reason why this is, is between the King James and the NIV, there is a difference in how they translate monotheos or monohuios, only son or only God. And the difference between huios, son, and theos, God, is like one Greek letter. And so there was some manuscript argument over it. But notice in the NIV, the one and only son who is himself God is in closest relationship to the Father. Where in the other version, it just says Son. It doesn't include God. Here, it's trying to put both understandings of that text. This doesn't mean that Christians are confused or our Bible's been corrupted. This is us being honest to try to understand what the original intent of the author was. It's not lost, okay? Can I hear an amen to this? Sometimes people are like, oh, the Bible's lost and it's confused. No, it's not. It's like having a 110-piece puzzle for a 100-piece put together. There are puzzle pieces that have been added over the years, sometimes by mistake, but we have them all there. We're trying to understand what is the original intent, but it's there. It's either he's the only son or he's the only son that is God. Now, you might say that makes a huge difference. For me, it doesn't. I can preach both because it already told me in John 1.1 that he's God. So what is the author now doing at the end? He's reminding us of who he is. And if it is God, I'm okay with that. If it's son, I'm okay with it. It doesn't change my doctrine whatsoever. Can I hear an amen? And then now you have to go to the scholars and understand the difference there. But going back to that King James, notice what it says here. Who is in the bosom of the father. That has been the relationship between father and son for all of eternity. Does everybody see that? Where was Jesus before he incarnated in the flesh? In the bosom of the Father. Highlight that, please, so we can all get the right answer. Are you all ready, class? Where was Jesus before he incarnated in the flesh? In the bosom of the Father. Amen. Now, going back to Matthew 16. What we see here is that Peter understood that. Peter understood who Jesus was. Jesus was the Messiah, and Jesus was the Son of the living God. Like how I'm a son? No. In the way that a son is with a father from the very beginning. Does everybody get that? That's how he's the son of the living God. Not a creature of God. Not someone that came from mother God's womb. Jesus is the son of God because he's been in the bosom of his father for eternity. As long as God the father has been existing, God the son has been existing. And I can show you this in other places, the Holy Spirit as well. Anytime someone takes away from either one of those persons existing with the Father, the Son or the Spirit, they do not understand the Bible, and we will take them slowly through it. Amen. Just because we don't accept the Pope doesn't mean that we reject everything the Roman Catholics or others have given us throughout the years. They were right in those things that they said, and this predates the Roman Catholic Church as well. And so sometimes people say, oh, you guys believe in the Trinity, you must be Catholics. Uh, you believe in prayer, does that mean you're a Muslim? I mean, what are we doing here? You know, are we just now just taking similarities and then saying that you must be that thing? No, I'm not that thing because I have a similarity. What the Roman Catholic Church did was what I believe contained the apostolic faith. And if you look with me quickly to Jude, they had that, but then they changed that. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the keys of the kingdom. Everybody say keys of the kingdom. Thank you. Are you guys learning today? Amen. Glad you came to church. All right. Look at Jude chapter 1. Whether it's the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, the Coptics, the churches of the East, the Ethiopian Church, I believe that Jesus Christ has preserved his church through the core doctrines, not the secondary doctrines, not the things that we disagree over, but the core doctrines. Look at Jude chapter 1. 
Jude chapter 1 says that there's going to be a time when people are going to try to pollute the, uh, the scriptures and try to take people away from the truth. Notice in verse 3, dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the what? Contend for the what? The faith that was once for all entrusted to who? God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, so prophesied about, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So how many know we have people like that today? If you're a Mormon and you believe that Jesus came out of the womb of a spiritual goddess mother, you are denying Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. If you are a Jehovah Witness or believe similar to that, like black Hebrew Israelites and others believe similar to that, that Jesus is a creation of the Father, you deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. How many sovereign and lords do we have in the Bible? How many Yahwehs do we have in the Bible? We only have one. When you confess Jesus is Lord, you are not confessing Jesus as your landlord. You are confessing him as the only Yahweh of the Bible. But the problem is, is that if you only see the Father as the person of Yahweh, you miss the entire Bible. There are three persons that use the same name of Yahweh. Where is the shadow example in our, our day and age? There are many persons in the Wyrostic family, but one Wyrostic family. Are you listening? There is only one family of Yahweh, one Yahweh. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. One Ahad. That word is used of a family in Genesis chapter 2. That word is used of a nation, Ahad, one nation. That word is used of a plurality of persons all throughout the Scripture. When anybody ever looks at Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, and says this means he's only one person, now they make mincemeat of the entire scriptures. That literally starts off with let us make man in our image, and then man is made in plurality, not in a single person called a father. Are you listening? So it's very clear that people will try to deny this in the end times. But notice that our faith has been given to us, and it was entrusted to God's holy people. Now go back to our passage. What does the Bible say? The gates of hell will not prevail against this faith. So anytime someone comes to you and says, something wrong happened after these disciples, and now I'm here to restore to you the dogmas, the doctrines of the scriptures, they have made Jesus out to be a liar. That's why we have to be careful when we're correcting the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox. We have to understand that the church has still been with them, even though we don't agree with everything that they teach. Can I hear an amen? You better say amen or oh my, because it's coming, choo-choo. Because you have to understand, even we as Pentecostals who believe in the power of God, and I don't dress up like mother and make you call me father. I come out of the closet. I don't make you come into the closet. That's my office back there. Are you listening? Even though we can disagree, we better be careful when we look at history if we think the church disappeared and that we're now God's gift to the earth and bringing it back. Because if there's a comeback to the church, that means it was lost. Jesus lied. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail. And so when you study church history... The Protestant movement, the Protestant movement, the Reformation was not teaching that the church had been lost. It was that the church had gotten off track and that we needed to correct it. And so I still believe that there can be Christians in those denominations, not in Mormonism, not in Jehovah's Witness, not in the black Hebrews, not in that nonsense, not in Scientology, not in any of that, but in Christianity where these dogmas are taught. Amen. 
The nature of God being three in one. Jesus dying on the cross, death, burial, and resurrection, ascending to heaven. Belief in him for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism and communion. Can I hear an amen? We may not agree how the communion is done. We may not agree when to take uh, the, the, the person to be baptized. They do it for a child. We do it for the confession. But you'll find in our Bible, in, 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 the, in the Bible, what we're saying is true and they're, they're wrong. Amen? You don't ever see a priest holding communion, giving it to a disciple. You don't ever see a child being baptized. So I, I'll stand by that. But understand, when you look at what we would call mere Christianity, Christianity has survived. And we have a sister here from Ethiopia. Put up there the Ethiopian Christians, please. And uh, the Johnson family has been to Ethiopia, right? A beautiful place. The church has survived in Ethiopia. They may be more traditional than us, but they survived. The church has survived in Egypt, the Coptic church. These churches were established even before the church of Rome. Can I hear an amen? If you trust me, do your own research. But they were established even before the church of Rome. When Rome was still a pagan nation, these nations were accepting the gospel and having the freedom to establish their churches. These churches have their dates older than ours, but understand that the faith is still the same. The triune nature of God, the belief in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, equal with the Father. Are you listening? The death, burial, and resurrection, the ascension into heaven, the belief of salvation by faith. Now, I'm not dressing like this this morning. How many are grateful for it? But how many are thankful that they've kept the traditions of Christ, the cross, Jesus, the Trinity, amen? The scriptures, even though they add some of the apocryphal literature to the scriptures, I will be careful before I say that these are lost. I believe that many of their higher-ups, as we're going to get into even with the Jewish people, may be corrupted or there may be issues. But remember, as we as Protestants point that finger at them, right? We point our finger at them. There's five televangelists falling in our ministries, right? Uh, Carl Lentz was like us, non-denominational, having sex with a girl that he wasn't married to. So we need to be careful. But I don't want to join this church. I don't accept um, uh, their authority just because they're older, but I have respect for it. See, once again, I can respect Michael Jordan and not be a fanatic about it and tell lies and said that he flied. Amen? And how many of you can respect uh, Tom Brady even though you may not be a Patriots fan? Y'all get quiet. Right? You get what I'm saying? Like, you can respect Vince Lombardi, even though you don't, it wasn't he with the, the Packers. Vince Lombardi, okay, I, it's so funny. I know more about sports than you guys do, and I don't care anything about sports. But I think you get my point. I can respect them for what they did and make sense of history because here's the point. As we go back to our notes, thank you, my brother. As we get back to our notes, here's the point. If you can't go through history and point to the church throughout history, what you're doing now is invalid. Can I hear an amen to that? You all got quiet in this Presbyterian church. I'm going to say it again. Anyone who claims to be in Christ's church and cannot point through history their church or what they believe, you are playing make-believe. If you can't show me that what you're building now is what Christ has always been building, then you are playing make-believe because we are not rebuilding something that Christ failed at a while back ago. This church is not a... 2.0 to Jesus' 1.0 church that failed at the Council of Nicaea because the Jesus mythicist told me so or Dan Brown told me so, right? No, no, no. The church has always been here. The church has always been around, but here's the deal. The church has not always lived right. Go with me to Revelation chapter 2, please. Lord, would you grab me some water, please, and thank you. Look at Revelation chapter 2. You will notice there are seven churches. How many churches are, are mentioned here? Seven. Those who have gone through the study with me in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, these seven churches, how many remember the righteous ones? Two. 
Five are doing bad. Three, one is possibly okay. At least four we know for sure are doing terrible. Two we know are doing good. One is okay. Everybody get this. That's what it's like right now. That's what it's like back then. How has the Roman Catholic Church been doing? Well, not so good. I think they're the Laodicean Church. I think they're going to be a part of the Whore of Babylon. I think they're going to apostate and bring in the Antichrist. That's what I think they're going to do, right? But I still think God's word is there and that people can get saved there despite the mess that's happening there. Thank you. But how many believe that Jesus Christ is still building his church in those areas? How many believe Jesus is still building his church in the Roman Catholic areas? Like there are, there are truths that they have that God can use. How many are aware that there's many Protestant denominations? How many believe God is still using them? Even though right now in the Methodists, they're allowing homosexuality. Even right now in the Church of England, they're allowing homosexuality, LGBT. But how many know there's remnants, there's pockets of what God is doing? See, that's where we get this understanding from. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is growing, though smaller C local churches come and go. That's where we develop the principle of the universal church and then the local church. See, if you look here at Revelation chapter 2, the church of Ephesus is one of those that has done bad. Look at verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Consider how far you're fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand. You see how serious God is with Ephesus? And then look at Smyrna. Look at what it says here. It says to the church in Smyrna that I know your afflictions, that you're doing all the right things here. And then he says, be faithful even unto the point of death. And so we see that Smyrna is doing better than Ephesus. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, so it looks like here that, 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 that Smyrna is probably what I would call like that medium church is doing good. But now let's go to Pergam. Now we go to Pergam, verse 14, chapter 2. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some of you who hold to the teachings of Balaam. How many know that's a bad thing if you're all into the teachings of Balaam? I mean, you can read that in the Old Testament. But Balaam wasn't doing the right thing. Who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Look at verse 16. Repent, therefore, otherwise I'll come to you and fight against you. Now, does this mean, everybody think about this. Does this mean because Ephesus is doing bad, Smyrna's doing somewhat good, and then Thyatira's doing bad, does this mean Jesus is not building his church and the gates of hell prevailed? No, it just means that these individual churches, these bodies of people are now being judged. So that's where I say to my Roman Catholic friend, when they try to put the Pope on me, I say, nope. And then I say, hey, let's look at how your church is doing. You're not the only one out there. You're not the only, let's look at the Orthodox church. Let's look at the, uh, you know, Ethiopian church. Let's look at the Coptic church. And by the way, these are all in schism with each other. Okay, Orthodox in schism with the Roman Catholics. The churches of the East are in Oriental churches are in schism with both of those churches. The Ethiopian church is not in communion with the Orthodox church, even though they consider themselves Orthodox. Are you listening? There are schisms and divisions among them. But yet each one of them will try to say, hey, we're in charge. We're in charge. You guys came later. Look at you guys. You don't wear our robes. You don't have our, our, our relics. You don't have these crosses like the way we do. And I say, who cares about any of that? Let's look at to what Jesus taught and judged churches on. Let's look at these churches and let's see. Let's go to the Ethiopian church. Do you teach the morality of the Bible? Are your people living holy? Are they winning souls, making disciples? Let's look at the church of Rome. Are you avoiding idolatry, which is a sin against God, right? Are you listening? See, we teach these things according to Jesus and his demands. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, that's kind of discouraging. 
I wish there was one unified church. And by the way, that is oftentimes the call of the cult. The call of the cult oftentimes speaks to the person's desire to have a one centralized church. They'll say to you something like this, like a Jehovah Witness, a Mormon. They'll say, hey, look at all your denominations. We just have one. Look at how well we're organized. Look at how you're divided. Look at how this church does this. This one does this. Come join us. But how many know the devil's a liar? The morons, I mean the Mormons, are in division too. And they lie to you. And they will. And they'll tell you that they're united. But there's multiple churches. There's even one in the corner of Utah called the Great Schism Corner where there's three, I believe, different Mormon churches all on the same corner competing over whose prophet is the next one after Joseph Smith and so forth. The same thing with the Jehovah Witnesses. They've, they're not really witnesses of Jehovah. They're witnesses of Beelzebub because they lie and they teach lies. And then they've had divisions among them. They're not all together. And, and so if they mean by, look at how we're unified in what we do even though people divide from us. Well, we're the same way. Metro Praise in Chicago is unified with Metro Praise in Dallas, right? And then if someone leaves us, they're not Metro Praise. Well, that's easy to unify that way. If that's your way of looking at it. Well, they left us because they weren't us, and that's just the way we're going to defend ourselves. And it's the same thing with the Catholic Church. Look how unified we are. But yeah, but look at all the schisms. Oh, but they're not with us anymore. But Okay, if, if you're counting, you still being unified after schism, then we're all unified then. Amen? Even the person that breaks off from this church with the Bible study can simply say, well, we're all unified here, even though we left in schism. And so the problem problem isn't whether or not there's been schism and division. The problem is whether or not those who, who are schismatic and divide, are they doing so based on the word of God? You see, when you look at the scriptures, there's always been divisions even in the people of Israel. When Jesus was around, was there one kind of Jewish sect? No. What was one of the Jewish sects? Shout it out if you know one. Pharisees, what was the other ones? Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in afterlife, and that was why they were sad, you see. Yeah, there's a pastor joke, you see. So there was divisions among the Jewish people. Now, when Jesus was there, did he pick a side? Did he say, oh, I'm with you Pharisees. I'm with you Sadducees. And then there was others, the Essenes. There was like uh, the people who lived out in the, in, the, in the faraway places, like monks almost. These guys were known as the Essenes. They, um, they oftentimes historically put John the Baptist in that group. So John the Baptist was a part of a radical group. He wasn't with the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He was with these Essenes where we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, this group of people that predate the life of Jesus on the earth. These people were out there in the deserts having their communes because they were sick of what was going on over there. So when you look at the scripture, you see there's a lot of different divisions, but how does Jesus deal with them? Somebody say, make it plain. Go with me to Mark chapter 7. Let's see how Jesus deals with schism in the church, and then we'll get to the keys of the kingdom. But you have to understand why there's schism and how there's always been schism. Just because you claim that you don't have schism doesn't mean that's true. I could claim that here. I've never had any schism. Well, I thought y'all people have left your church. Oh, yeah, but we're unified here. Okay, well, then we're all in, in that sense unified. What I'm trying to say is schism or not, how is your church operated and what is it based under? Now look at Luke chapter 7. Let's start around verse 9. Notice Jesus is dealing with these folks. These are the Pharisees who were much more strict than the Sadducees. He continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of who? The commands of who? Thank you. The commands of God in order to observe your own what? Traditions. How about this? Think about it for a second. They had traditions that then trumped the what? The word or the commands of God. Do you see churches doing that today? Do you see Roman Catholic Church today that has traditions above the word of God or the commands of God? 
Yes. Does the Bible ever teach us to pray to saints? No. So they have a tradition of that, but it's not in the Word of God. Do you get it? So they put their tradition above the Word of God. So here's the Word of God, and let's say this black thing is going to represent their nasty tradition. They take their nasty tradition, and then they put it what? Over the Word of God. You see, that's what Jesus was dealing with in his day. So why should I, everybody understand the two ditches, why should I fall into either ditch? One ditch says the only way that Jesus can preserve his church is that there's never any division, so join the Roman Catholic Church. How many know that ditch is wrong because there's been divisions in the Roman Catholic Church? But then somebody says over here, there's always been divisions, just get over it, do whatever you want, follow the Pope of your own choice because you don't have that Pope, but you have Joe as your Pope, and we're all just going to do our own thing willy-nilly and call ourselves non-denominational. How many know that doesn't work either? So what must we do? We must, as Christians, go to the Word of God, each one of us, not relying upon your church as our own priest, the Bible says, and our own priesthood, and decide for ourselves what is the Word of God and what is the tradition of something I'm a part of. Does everybody get that? See, that's what we are obligated to do. You see, Jesus said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Do we have traditions in this church? Absolutely. We have a tradition that when you come in, you sit down there. Do you know that in the Orthodox Church, you don't sit down, you stand? In the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, do they stand during the sermon or do they sit? They stand as well. See, did you know that? Just sitting down is already a tradition. You're like, oh my goodness, I just thought that was scriptural. We all just sit down. Well, you can, but I'm telling you, there are ancient churches that are old that stand for the whole service. And they're not short services either. Wow, so you mean sitting? Just the very first thing I did in the church? I could even go back to the, the door you walked through. How you came here. What you decided to do once you walked into that atrium right there. The fact that we have an atrium. Some churches meet outdoors. They don't even have a door because Jesus was outdoors. Amen. And then there's an atrium. There's not even some you know, churches that have those places because the whole place is sacred. There are no refreshments. There are no drinks. There are no place to buy a book or something like that. Does everybody get that? It's just a very, and then a building. There are some who meet outdoors, and then there are some who only meet in homes because the disciples met in homes before they could meet in large gathering places. You see, all of that is tradition, but here's the thing. Do these kinds of traditions nullify the Word of God? No. Does standing or sitting nullify the Word of God? No. Does having a door or coming into an atrium before a sanctuary, does that nullify? No. And we could go through all the things that we do here, and that's why you're at this church, hopefully, is that you believe we're not nullifying the Word of God. But there could be traditions that maybe we're holding on to that do. And sadly, many are blind to their own traditions. And so if we are going to point a finger at the uh, other churches, the Presbyterian church or to the Anglican church or to the Methodist church and say, well, they're not doing this right because of their traditions, we have to also look at our traditions. Announcements. Does it nullify the word of God? I don't think it does. But what if we ever see in the scripture that it does, that there shouldn't be that kind of trivial stuff discussed, only spiritual matters, right? Are you tracking with me? Then I wouldn't do announcements anymore. But would God right now at this time hold me responsible? No, because no one has ever shown me in the scripture, in the command of God. Everybody say the command of God. Thank you. The command of God has not been shown to me that I cannot have an announcement in my service. Okay? 
or how I'm supposed to dress in my service. Well, Joe, we don't think you're appropriately dressed. You should have on the colorful robe. And I've put those robes up here before. We're not going to do it again because then we just get lost in the, in the bedazzlement that these guys wear in these churches, okay? And, and now you even see Protestants doing the same thing. Like the more bedazzled means you're more of a bishop, you're more of a cardinal, whatever. And it's silly. But does the Bible command me to dress that way? No. So I'm not nullifying the word of God coming in what I consider to be my Sunday best. Okay? So he said to them, you nullify the commands of God by your traditions. And then he gives them an example of one about the Korban rule, which we do not have time to get into, but let's just now skip down to verse 13. And it says, thus you nullify. He says it again, but now not, not the commands. Keep them both up there so we can see both verses, please, 9 and 13. We'll call this a sandwich. Here is the bun of verse 9. You violate the commands in order to observe your traditions. The meat is Jesus giving them an example of how they did it at that time with the Korban rule. And then at the bottom bun, he repeats himself in verse 13. Please highlight it. Thus you nullify the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. So that's why we don't have to spend our time today, which I've done a sermon series on Matthew, on the Corban rule, because it doesn't matter to us whether we're doing the exact violation of the Corban rule. It matters whether or not we're doing things like that. Do we violate the commands of God like that? And the detail here is, is that children didn't have to take care of their parents if they wanted to give the money to the church. And Jesus was saying, you're violating honoring your father and your mother because your priest talked you into giving him all the money. That was what they, the priests were doing. The priests were saying, hey, don't take care of your parents with your money. Give the church your money, and God will bless you because the church comes before your family. Now, in one sense, that's true as in how we see our religious duty, but there's also a command that keeps us from becoming so religiously minded we don't do any earthly good. And Jesus was showing that they were deceiving them. Do you, you see the subtlety there? The, the, the subtlety was, well, if you really love God, you'll give more here than to your family. And Jesus is trying to say that is violating the idea of keeping your father and mother as, an, as uh, honorable in your life. Now, go with me quickly The 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. How many are learning something today? Amen. Does our traditions nullify the word of God? Why is this important? Because what did Paul teach? One of the main founders of the church. He said, if I'm delayed, you will know how to conduct yourselves in God's what? God's household. You see how we're supposed to be looked at as a household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the what? The truth. The pillar and the foundation of the truth is where? In God's household, which is also what? The church. Everybody say the church is God's house. God's house is a pillar and a foundation of truth. Amen. Wow. So that means these pillars in this room are important. Absolutely. You as pillars are important. And what are you supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Check all of our traditions by the word of God. Does crossing yourself count as a tradition? Yes, it's not commanded. But does it violate the word of God? No. So you could cross yourself. You could do that. Does it violate the word of God? No. You just crossed yourself and you're giving glory to I keep doing the kiss here. You know what I'm saying? Like the soccer player or the boxer. You know what I'm saying? No, but I love it. I do it when I'm preaching because oftentimes cars are driving by and we can't, you know, get their attention. But they'll stop and look at us. And I have the Chicago for Jesus cross on and I'll just go like that and I'll do the heart. 
See, I like mine better than their tradition. Right? I mean, think about it. You go like this, you know, what does that do? Look at this. You do this, I like that. I like that better. You get my point? Because Jesus loves you. Now let's all make that a tradition and make people feel bad if they don't do it. No, I'm kidding. But you get my point? That there, there is something that you can do as you grow in the Lord. But what we're not supposed to do is compromise the truth. What is the truth? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's the truth. So I'm not going to argue about that with another Christian because we already agree on that. Now, if they want to cross themselves, that's up to them. But now if they start saying, why well, go to a water-stained bridge in Fullerton where someone thinks they saw the, the Virgin Mary and they're going to start praying to it, no, I'm not doing that. I got to hold up the truth now, don't I? If someone's not going to tell me, Jesus is not God, he was created. I'm not, I'm not down with that. Or if somebody says to me, I'm going to start practicing polygamy, homosexuality, something perverse like that. No, I'm not doing that. I'm going to correct you in the scriptures by that. I'm going to hold up the truth, amen? Now ask yourself this question. If the book of Revelation written around 90 AD already had basically four out of seven churches doing bad, when do you think it started with the pillars starting to be attacked? If by 90 AD, Jesus is already saying, this is my last warning. If you don't do right, I'm spitting you out. How soon do you think it started? It started the day the apostle left the church to go to the next city. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This has always been around. And the problem is, is that we as Christians don't know how to handle it correctly. When I discuss my differences with the, uh, 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 as a Protestant with a Catholic, I'm not going to be petty with them. We're not going to, you know, over things that don't have an issue into the scriptures. What I want to do is look at the very commands. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's just say, let's start around the beginning, go to verse 10. Notice this. No, everybody say, uh, go up just a little bit, please. You see the title? What does it say? Let's read it together. One, two, three. A church divided over leaders. That's between the letters of 1st and 2nd uh, Corinthians. This is already going down. There was a letter before this. So technically our Corinthians is 3rd Corinthians. We don't have that one. But this is between just his visits in other words. Between the visits of Paul, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are fights, there's quarrels among you. What I mean is one says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another one is, I follow Cephas. That's Peter's Aramaic name. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. Think about that. Within one or two years, this church is falling apart because of division. You think that's bad? Go to Galatians. Go to Galatians. Start in chapter 2. Not only is the Galatian church having a problem that Paul literally has to say that they are bewitched as if they have a magical spell of Satanism put over them. Not, not only that, Peter and Paul got into an argument and Peter almost left the gospel. Not only did Peter do wrong before the ascension of Jesus in his betrayals, but now as Peter's role as the first member of the church, he has to get rebuked by Paul. And if he didn't humble himself, we might have lost Peter. 
Come on, somebody. This is serious. Somebody say serious. Amen. Look at it. Don't take my word for it. Look at Galatians 2. I wish I could read it from verse 1. But look at verse 11. Read all the way through when you have time, or if you've already read it, just call it to mind. When Cephas, other word for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This wasn't just no internet troll. This was Paul looking Peter face to face, opposing him. So whenever we think about what the church has gone through to stay unified while the gates of hell have been attacking, and by the way, I haven't even got to the sermon yet. This is all the introduction. Can I hear an amen? Remember, I told you I got to talk about the keys of the kingdom, so that's coming. I just want you to understand this. Paul is opposing Peter. For certain men came from James. That's the half-brother of Jesus. He used to eat with the Gentiles. So Peter would eat with Gentiles when he was chilling. Because he's a Jew, and he's breaking the tradition of the Jews to separate it in their eating, okay? But when they, that means the men from James, those Jewish conservative men who are now Christians came, he, Peter, drew back and separated himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So Peter is a Jew, and he would eat with non-Jews, breaking that tradition. It wasn't in the Scripture they couldn't eat with non-Jews. It's just they added on to it. They had to follow a certain diet, which got uh, obliterated by Jesus and Peter's vision. Okay, you can eat lechon if you want. We could talk about that later. But listen, he is now still keeping the tradition to only eat with Jews. That was like their way of making it easier not to eat uh, the, uh, uh, the unclean food. So it's like what we, what we said in Bible college, what we were taught is that here was the law and then the Jews built a fence around the law. It's like the law is not good enough. We now need to put a fence around the law to protect the law. So the law said don't eat anything unclean. But then they said now don't even eat at a Gentile's house. You see what they did? They added another step to the law and the law was fine all by itself, right? But thank God he fulfilled those dietary laws. But notice this. He's now only eating with the Gentiles when those conservative Jews are not around. When they come around, he leaves them. He's like, yo, dude, I got to leave you and this lechon and all this stuff here, man. I'm going to go hang out over here and eat kosher. Now, notice this. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Literally, Paul is, uh, Peter is being called a hypocrite by Paul. How many know that's a bad day for the church? This might be what you think the gates of hell are going to prevail against. The, the gates of hell will win here. But no, listen, even if Peter would have went astray, the gates of hell would not have prevailed. Why? Because Paul would have kept preaching. Do you understand my point in bringing this to you? The point is that the church can have divisions. The church can have issues. That does not mean the church has been defeated. God will always have his people, and they will be correcting the others, and they will chug-a-chug-a-choo-choo along. Now, what happens here? Watch. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that their hypocrisy even led Barnabas astray. Barnabas is Paul's co-worker. So Paul is losing Peter to this hypocrisy. He now has seen his friend turn his back on him. So Barnabas chooses Peter's side. And what does Paul do? When I saw that they were not acting in line with the what? The truth of the gospel. What is the church? The pillar and the foundation of the truth. What is the church? The pillar and foundation of the truth. Paul said, I saw them not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. And then now he rebukes them. We don't have time to get into the whole story. But how many are glad 
Paul held up the truth of the gospel. Please leave this scripture here. Go to 1 Peter 3.15. Peter repented. Peter repented, okay? That's the story. You can go through it when you have time, but I want you to see it again. The church of the living God is God's household, and it is the pillar, and uh, excuse me, is that 315? And the foundation of the truth. Where are we at? First Timothy, please. Did I say First Peter? Sorry about that. First Timothy. That's a good passage as well. Amen. First P- Timothy 315. Notice what it says here, that the church is God's household. Does everybody see this? And that the church is the pillar and the foundation of the what? What did Paul bring Peter? The what? The truth. Was Paul one of the original disciples? No. He didn't follow Jesus. He was actually a Jew at that time persecuting them. You better know your story, right? So why did Paul have the right to rebuke Peter and his hypocrisy? Because he was a part of the truth that had the the church that had the what? The truth. You see, that's our responsibility as Christians. Don't ever think to yourself, it's up to the guy on the stage. If Paul would have said, because Peter is doing what he's doing and he's the first member of the church, he's the Pope, I can't mess with him, who knows what would have happened to Christianity at that point. We know God still would have built his church, but we might have lost entire regions with Peter, right? But God used Paul to correct Peter. Does everybody see that? Go, go to uh, Galatians chapter 2 again. I just want everyone to see it clearly before we go. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the what? The truth. I said to him the truth. I told him the truth. The church is the pillar and foundation of the what? The truth. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 16 in our notes, and I want you to think about this. Quickly in closing today. Jesus said he gives Peter these keys. Do those keys only remain with Peter? No, go to Matthew 18 now. Matthew 18, chapter 18. Who else gets these keys according to the scripture? All believers. Somebody say all Christians. Somebody say me. Come on. Everybody. Right? Now watch. Go on down. What does it say? Up, please. Right up here. Chapter 18, starting in verse 18. Sorry, you were right. You're right. Thank you. Now notice this. Truly I tell you. Is he talking just to Peter? Just scroll up just so they can see. There's no Peter mentioned here. This is mentioned to the church, which I'm going to get to in just a moment. Tell it to the church, the church, the church. Does everybody see the word church mentioned multiple times here? Okay. The church is where it's at, and this is the you that he's speaking to. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Before it was like this, just two chapters early, church, thank you, can loose and can bind. Does everybody see that? Was Paul given the keys directly from Jesus while he was on earth? No. But what is Paul a part of? The church. And if Paul is part of the church, what does he have? Truth that comes from the keys. You guys got it. I'm just helping you out. He has the keys that come from the truth or the truth that comes from the keys. Either way you want to look at it. The truth and the keys go hand in hand together, right? You tracking with me? So when we read verse 18, it's very much in context to say, truly I tell the church. 
right? You guys tracking with me the context? Truly I tell the disciples. Truly I tell the Christ followers. That's the you there. Whatever you, John, whatever you, Victor, whatever you, Jason, whatever you, uh, you know, saints here today, whatever you bind on earth will be what? Bound in heaven. Whatever you, Maliha, Jorge, Lawrence, whatever you bind or loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. How do I know that's to the whole church? Keep going. Verse 19. Again, I tell you, just Peter, no, the church, that if any two of you, any two apostles, any two special disciples, no, any two Christians, any two in the church on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them. That's why you need a prayer partner to pray according to the will of God by my Father in heaven. Now notice this. For where two or three gather in my name, two or three popes, two or three apostles, two or three super Christians, no, two or three followers, two or three disciples gather in my name. There I am with you. Does everybody see that? So are you doing your part in the church? Because now I want to teach you about these keys. You ready for the keys? We learned last week about fighting spiritual enemies in Ephesians chapter 6 with those keys, that we have to bind up the strong man. But guess what else we have to bind up? Messy people. People who teach false doctrine. Bitter people, right? We have to bind that up as well. Not only do we have to mess with the demons of Ephesians 6, the principalities and powers, we need to bind up those who come against the pillar of the truth. If somebody in this service right now had a sledgehammer and started taking it at that pillar, do you sit back and do nothing? Now you stand up for that pillar because that's a pillar that's holding up this building. If somebody starts taking a sledgehammer to one of your brothers and sisters online, do you sit back and do nothing? No, you rebuke them and then you block them and you move on. But you let them know you rebuke them. And I'm going to teach you about that right now. Just as I'm responsible for you, you are responsible for me. We never fight alone. We fight together, the Bible says. The church is not alone. A pastor does not stand alone, nor does an owner of a deli when someone says they're going to burn it down. They don't stand alone. Christians stand together. We stand by brothers and sisters. We stand by you for your job when they were giving out the jab and you were saying you didn't want to do it. We wrote letters to your bosses and we expected you to rebuke your uh, former members of this church if they spoke against our pastors. We do not fight divided. Our battle is not against flesh and blood but the lies that people tell. And we will bind them up in Jesus' name and we will lose the blessings of God over a city. Praise God. So please go up here now in the few moments that I have for the message. How many are ready for the sermon now? Amen. Lord, help me. That was a long introduction. I know. It took me a while. Matthew chapter 18, brother. Go back there, please. Matthew chapter 18. Now going up to the top. This is how we do it. Verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, talk about them behind their back. Is that what it says? Go write them on a public post on Facebook and cause a fight so everybody can see us as Christians fight with each other. No, what does it say? Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. This is how Christians settle their problems. If I see you doing something that's not right, I'm first going to you, between you and I, and we're going to talk about it. 
That's what I'm expecting you to do here, brothers and sisters, lest we go into the ditch of other fallen churches, lest we fall out like those churches have fallen out. Does everybody see how important this is? Why? Because you're in the truth. You're in the truth because you're in the church. You're responsible to hold up these pillars. Now, if you come to somebody with a tradition, well, I saw a woman in the church wearing pants, and I was raised that women in the church need to wear dresses, then you ain't going to get no love here. Amen? We're not going by your tradition. Show us in the scripture where our sister is not dressing, as the Bible said, in godliness. Right? Now, you may not appreciate this style, and the Bible gives us room for what we would call gray areas. As much as a black and white person like me does not like gray areas, they're in the Bible. There are places where we get to decide how we raise our children, homeschool, public school. There's a way in the Bible to decide whether or not you'll drink alcohol or abstain. There's a place in the Bible to even be a vegetarian if you want to be that weird. We still love you, half kid. Uh, you can do It's in our Bible. There's many examples in our Bibles where Christians just disagreed over stuff. Even the days when you worship, that you could choose to still keep the Sabbath directly as the Jews did. You could. Just remember, you can't drive your car there because that's combustion in a fire. So you're a liar if you think you keep the Sabbath driving a car. There's a reason why the Jews have their car shut down. I will talk about that all day. The hypocrites in the Jewish movement right now, the, uh, the Christian supposed Jewish roots movement. They're some of the biggest hypocrites like Paul, uh, Peter was, and they need to be rebuked. Amen? But I want you to see this. We're not talking about tradition. Show them the command of God. Hold on, sister. Um, this person that you've been bringing around, we thought that was just your boyfriend. But now we see that you're living with them, and you're not married. Well, we got to talk about that. That's in the Scripture. You see, if you want to go hide in a mega mess, there's 20 down the road that will take you. But if you want a church that's going to get in your life and help you and get your obese self to get in spiritual shape, we got your back. Amen? Because we ain't saying that, you know, you can stay in sin and it be all right. It's once we find out about sin, we're going to deal with it. Well, don't we all sin? Yeah, and that's why we're busy around here. Yeah, that's like basically saying, tell the police to stay home because don't we all break the law every now and then? That doesn't mean you stop having the police. That means you get more of them until people start listening. Amen, Chicago? Come on, Chicago. We don't send the police home. We get the right ones, and we get them doing their job. Well, we all sin. Ain't nobody per Well, you're coming to a church that's going to help you make you perfect. You want to keep putting salt in your brownies, we're going to help you with that. That's a sin. You taste bitter and weird to everybody around you. We're going to get that attitude check so you get some, uh, some sugar, something nice up in you. Amen? Well, I was just raised salty and spi uh, spicy and all that. Well, you were raised wrong. Let me help you get raised right. Get born again. Well, I, I always say, I was born this way. I know you were born a mess. Well, the message is get born again. Amen? If I got to check my Italian pride, you're checking your homosexual lust. Are you listening? Well, I feel like having sex with a man, and I'm a man. I feel like slapping a man. What do I get to do with that? Do you understand? We all have lust and our perversion and our anger and all these sins and all this. Man, if I'm checking mine, you're checking yours. We're not putting up with anybody's sin here. Well, the pastor used to do that. I don't care. I'm not that guy. Go back to him then. Go follow backsliding Pastor Tom. I'm not your backsliding Pastor Tom. Amen? I'm a holy man of God. I live right. And when I do sin, I get checked. I repent. That's it. Thank you, wham, bam, ma'am. I'm done. I'm not messing around with this. I hate sin. 
I don't want to stay in sin. What are we playing with? I was even just this, just to see how far these other churches have gone. I looked at the, you can even put it up, put up list of mortal sins, Roman Catholic. Do you know that almost every single one of our sins is the same? And yeah, you meet Roman Catholics all the time that don't give a hoot and a holler about what is a sin. Well, I'm Catholic. You going to hell is what you're doing right now. Just, I had to look it up because sometimes I'm talking to them and I'm like, did you all just get a different Bible and catechism when you got confirmed? Did you just get a different one? So I went back to their own resources because when I talk to them, I want to talk to them from their book. When I talk to a Muslim, I talk to them from the Quran. When I talk to a Mormon, I talk to them from the, the, uh, the, the Latter-day Saint book, the Book of Mormon. I want to talk, when I talk to a Catholic, I want to talk to them from here. Don't you know idolatry is one of your sins? Talk about the hypocrisy. Atheism is one of their sins. They had the Pope saying to a, a child that his atheist father was in heaven. Blasphemy. How many have heard uh, a Roman Catholic take the name of the Lord in vain? Y'all going to hell unless you repent. Come on. Abortion. All this, man. Keep scrolling for them. Suicide. Scandal. Drug abuse. Oh, man, I just go to the priest and I confess. Adultery. Man, they're all wrong. Not all of them. Lord have mercy. They got too worked up. But how many are tired of hypocrisy in the church? Let's please, let's go back to our scripture. You see somebody's sin, let them know. You can go back to the scripture, brother. We got it. They also put in their contraception. is <laughs> a, a sin. I don't agree with that. Some of you have already gotten snipped. They consider that a sin. Just show me that in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Just show me where you can't do that stuff in the Bible, and I'll hear what you have to say. Otherwise, you're just talking to tradition of men, okay? The, the scripture, brother, Matthew 16, uh, Matthew 18. We're going to work our word. If you see a sin, not a violation of a tradition, go to your brother. Amen? But if they don't listen to you, or if they listen, you've won them over. But if they don't listen to you, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by two or three witnesses. You see, you bring somebody else along. You now help that, that brother or sister by bringing somebody else with you. Some may say the keys. This is the keys right here. This is how we keep it safe. This is how we make sure that the church keeps growing over the years. This is why I'm still rebuking Roman Catholics. If, come on, man. If Paul rebuked Peter, man, I owe this to you. I am your Paul. Good morning. Amen. Good morning. Get all this stuff out. I'm your Paul. If Paul rebuked Peter because he loved him, I'm rebuking them because I love them. It says establish it by two or three witnesses. Now, sometimes people say, well, I got two or three haters that all agree with me. No, still put it on Scripture, not your little butt hurt feelings. Show us where the sin was done. Show us where it was done in private or in public, emotional damage, or whether it was physical damage. You know what I'm talking about, emotional damage. Okay, I know there's some real church hurt in the world, but there's really a lot of church butt hurt too, okay? So let's help you discern it. And then look, if they still don't listen to you, tell it to the Pope. No, tell it to who? The church. And then if they refuse to even listen to who? The church. Hallelujah. Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Well, why don't you hang out with me anymore? I don't hang out with your stanky self anymore because you've been causing messes in my church, oh, stanky. I'm going to call you stank mouth now. I don't want to hang out with stank mouth. That's why we don't hang out. Is it hard to understand? Get the stank out your mouth and I'll be your friend. I'll be your girl. You ain't going to be putting a hammer to my pillar. We ain't doing that. 
And sometimes I say to y'all, if they're not friends with me, why are they still friends with you? Because they play in you. They know not to try that with me because I'll just slap the word of God on them. But they come soft and gentle, all poor and measly, like, oh, I'm just so hurt. Help me. No, man, if you hurt, go to your pastor and get right. Go to your church and get right. Why are you calling me up? And then we look at the world, and then they, 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 they look at us like we're all divided. Man, we're not divided. It's just Christians aren't acting right. We, we have been divided, I should say, but you get involved in a good church, and we're not the only ones. Praise God, we're not the only ones. But I've been looking around the country at some good churches, and every good church goes through about the same thing. One of the churches I was looking up in the suburbs by me talked about how all these people came to their church from COVID because there was no churches open in their area. They're in the Crystal Lake area. But then after a while, as the church was growing, they were looking at their tithes and offerings, and it was going down or remaining the same. And they were saying, man, what are y'all freeloaders doing here? Y'all coming to the church, nobody's giving. You don't, you don't have to give, but you should if you can. And let's just be honest, Crystal Lake folks can give, okay? So they're looking around, and they're like, y'all ain't giving. So they started teaching about giving sacrificially. Don't just give to your boat, which they have up in that area. Don't just give to your vacation. Don't just give to the church. And then people get offended. Oh, you've expected me to give? When I was a part of this church, Willow Creek, or this, I just did whatever and showed up. Well, you ain't at Willow Creek. We're not Bill Hybels. Amen? Thank God we're not him. If you don't know the story of Bill Hybels, he was touching women, got kicked out of the church. Nobody's found him since. And that's one of the biggest churches in my area. And I feel bad for him. I love him. I'm not against them. Come on, somebody say, I love them. I love them. But I look at this foolishness. You call that a church? That's like calling Taco Bell a taco. Y'all remember when we started with that? I grew up in the suburbs of Fort Wayne, Indiana, Indiana, Jack. I thought a taco was crunchy with lettuce and tomatoes. When my friend took me to a taqueria, Juan Gonzalez, you don't get more Mexican than that. When he took me to a taco, I go, do they got the hard kind with the shell and the lettuce? What is this flat thing with the little dusting on it with some green stuff? I don't know what this is. He said, that's a real taco, dude. Seriously, I had to unlearn my foolishness. I had to unlearn that crackety, you know, hard shell, lettuce, tomato, sour cream thing that we had going on in Taco Bell. I had to learn that's not a real taco. Thank God I found the truth. But you know what? That's what people think church. Oh, I go to this thing over here. I go to this concert. Oh, I love their Easter performance. Man, that's not a church according to the Bible. Where do they talk to you about your sin? Where do they talk to you about how you're living? Where do they come together around your family and help your young people? Now, you may say, I don't want anybody in my business, but you know you want us in your kids' business because parents, whenever you got a problem with your kids, you bring them to us and tell us everything. But before we talk to them, I want to get in your business. Mister, I want to look at your phone, and I ain't your wife. Hand it over. I want to see if you got OnlyFans on it. Oh, I don't give out my phone. You're a coward then. You can't be a husband without having somebody look at your phone. You're a coward. Let me look at it. Let me be honest with you. See, men, you got you to gotta man up. I say this to the men because the women will follow, as the Bible says, if they see a man of God. Don't allow drunkenness in your home. Don't allow perversion from your lips. Keep living holy. And if you sin, go to another brother that's not going to be soft on you so that you can get out of that sin. Man, if I was ever going to have an affair, I would never talk to any of you here because you would hold me accountable. 
You know who I'm going to talk to? One of my backslidden so-called Christian friends I wakeboard with. Because they're going to be an easy tear in the beer. Oh, Joe, you cheated on your wife? I guess it happens. Try that at this church. No, I guess it happens. Nonsense. Are you listening? But I know that soft person to go to when I just... Oh, man, I cussed. You know, I haven't, but you get my point. I cussed, and I looked at porn. Oh, it's okay. See, that's what you want to hear. Get something that's going to tell you what you need to hear. Amen? Band and altar workers, would you come, please? How many want to be the church of Jesus Christ? There's going to be some confrontation after this. I want some Urah 300 stuff going on after this. But do it in Christ-likeness and gentleness. Amen? How many are glad somebody in this church has talked to you about your sin? How many hate your sin? Amen. Would you stand up with me, please? Father, we thank you for this service. Sin is not our friend. The devil is not for us. He's against us. But God, we want you on our side. Lord, we want the church that the gates of hell will not prevail, and we want it to go into every part of the city, into every part of the suburbs. In Jesus' name, as I'm praying right now, if you don't know the Lord, would you repent of your sins right now and say, Jesus, I want to be born again. You might have been going through some tests, but you can have a testimony right now. Just confess Jesus as your Lord, your one and only sovereign. He's the only way to the Father today. He's the Son of the living God, the Messiah. A few moments right now for you, and then you can come up in in just a little bit as we dismiss. But if you need Jesus, call on him. Jesus, I need you. Be my Savior. I confess my sins. I'm tired of running from you. I accept you now. Pray something like that. Watch what God will do. Holy Spirit, come even now. For the rest of us who are already Christians, If you want to see the church built in your life, if you want to be a pillar, would you raise up your hands and say, Jesus, make me a pillar. Come on, Jesus, make me a pillar in the house of God. Help me to see the sins of my community and be an answer. I didn't have time to get into it, but the Bible says when you preach to the lost, that's different. That's a different angle. We still tell them about their sins, but we're raising up our hands right now to be to our brothers and sisters accountability. When you preach to the lost, you use that sin as an example to get saved. What we're talking about now is you discipling one another, you teaching one another, because there's supposed to be an openness. A few moments right now, Lord, make me open to receive and to give, to give and receive. Lord, if I see a brother's sin, may I not be lazy. If a brother sees a sin in me, may I not be prideful. Come on, if that's you right now, come on, pray it out, because the gates of hell can't prevail against you when you do. In the name of Jesus, I pray.